to another episode of Setting the Tone in the Art Retrospective, the show where we do a chronological breakdown of every episode of our favorite TV medical drama. My name is Elizabeth, and with me today, as always, are Lauren. Hello. And Daniel. Hey. Today, we're discussing Season 6, Episode 19, which is titled The Fastest Year. The episode aired on April 27th in the year 2000. Lauren, what was going on that week 22 years ago? At the 2000 NFL Draft, perennial first draft pick holders, the Cleveland Browns, selected defensive end Courtney Brown. After a good rookie year, Brown would be plagued by injuries for his remaining time in the league before retiring in 2005. Oh, and some no-name quarterback from the inferior of the two major Michigan colleges named Tom Brady is drafted in the sixth round. I'm sure he's retired by now, right? Please? <laughs> I also found out today the news broke that after he retires, he's going to be making 20 to $25 million a year to be uh, Fox... Fox Sports' lead, that's uh, fine. Lead football. That's commentator. fine. Whatever keeps him Jesus. from running for Congress and/or president as a Republican, I'm totally fine with him doing in a post-NFL world. Like, but just commentate he's... all you want, pay him all the money. Like, just let's just not have President fucking vitamin water over here. Like, I just I cannot I cannot deal with his fucking ass for the rest of my life. I can't. So anyway, Olympic gold medal winners. Just let me try that again. Olympic gold medal winning snowboarder Chloe Kim was born on April 23rd. She's best known for being the youngest women's snowboarder to ever win a gold medal, winning the women's halfpipe event at age 17. She won another gold in the same event four years later in the 2022 Winter Olympics. U571, the World War II submarine drama starring Matthew McConaughey, Bill Paxton, and ER's Eric Palladino debuts and sinks the competition to take the box office crown. Ha ha. <laughs> Maria Maria by Santana featuring the product GNB is the number one song for its third week. As for what else was on that evening at 8 p.m., friends with the episode The One Where Ross Meets Elizabeth's Dad? Fred? Uh, at 8.30. <laughs> Your dad's name is Fred. Oh, yeah. Ha ha ha. Just shoot me with the episode. I'm, that's my new bit now is trying to uh, de- cultivate an online friendship with uh, Lizzie's dad. That's my. Oh, new he's bit. perfect. Do, uh, just just cultivate, tell him you want to be friends. Say, cultivate a real life friendship. The man, <laughs> the man is beautiful and majestic. Uh, at 830, just shoot me with the episode when Nina met her parents. And at nine, Frasier with the episode to thine old self be true. And at 930, it was a Frasier rerun. Uh, this week's episode has 27.3 million viewers tuning in. Directed by Richard Thorpe, doing his 12th out of 31. Previous ones include from this season include Abbey Road and The Peace of Wild Things. And written by Lydia Woodward, doing her 22nd out of 27. Previous ones of hers from this season include Be Still My Heart and Leave It to Weaver. I already forgot that Alan Alda was already this season. Yeah. It's been a ride. Totally di- it feels like we're watching a totally different show right now. I mean, and we sort of talked about that leading up to the the big two-parter, that there was going to be a distinct shift in tone and just sort of ambiance post uh, Be Still My Heart and All in the Family, but it really is barren fruit now where it's like, damn, that feels like a, that feels like a, a, not only a, a different season, but that feels like a different show. Like, it feels like yeah. we're in a completely different universe from where we were with Alan Alda. So we open the episode with Mark checking David's temperature and lungs, and it's suspected that he has pneumonia, and Mark wants to bring him into the hospital. Oh, joy. Uh, but at, over at the hospital, Carrie's back. Yay! Yay! Ooh. But she does not look thrilled 
to see Robert at Admit. Um, and there was a little little fun Easter egg here. Uh, yeah, shout out to one of our listeners for pointing this out, uh, because I don't know that I would have caught it without uh, them pointing it out. Uh, but uh, at timestamp 110, as uh, Carrie is putting her stuff away uh, in the lounge, we get uh, one Dr. Hicks's nameplate uh, on one of the lockers. Uh, Which infuriates me to no end because like she was a surgical person she would have had her stuff upstairs well uh you, you know you say that but uh if i did because i'm me i had once i saw it once i looked at the hicks nameplate i had to then look at all the other nameplates on there to see if there were any other fun easter eggs uh and there weren't uh, everyone else at least makes some kind of sense for why they're there but benton uh is on that uh that row of lockers as well i believe the other ones were weaver carter green and one other one that I can't remember, but, but but made sense. But Benton makes sense because he's doing his his trauma work down in the ER. True, yeah. So I don't know, but it, it's just it it's one of those design choices that's just feels like it was pulled out of a hat because yeah. like we've seen this row of lockers before and we've seen different names pop up and as we've talked about in the past the order of the lockers changes depending on who needs to be in frame for a particular episode, but. Hicks just seemed like a particularly archaic reference to make considering that she's been gone in reality. She's been gone two and a half, almost three seasons. And uh, in, in like truth, she's been gone even longer than that because she was pretty sporadic before she got bobbed. So mm-hmm. it's been a, it's been a minute since we have seen, seen or heard mention of Dr. Hicks. Yeah. Well, we're seeing a lot more of Romano because he's been working down more in the ER uh, with Mark also taking extra time off. Um, he threatens Carrie immediately that he can unappoint her chief if she doesn't meet his standards. Mm. Real great. It's a real great way to cultivate a warm and positive work environment there, right. Romano. He's on top of it. Yep. Uh, then Gamma finds Carter asleep at the kitchen table. He has a can of Coke and his medication bottles next to him. And she wakes him up and offers him breakfast. He says he gave up trying to sleep around 2 a.m. and then came into the kitchen after watching a few infomercials. And he goes to slice some bread to make them toast. And when he pulls the giant knife out to do this with, he has audio flashbacks to the incident in question. Also, that is not the knife you would use to slice bread. Just being <laughs> that's, that's that's the problem here. As someone who cooks a lot of bread, who bakes a lot of bread. I don't know if a lot, but I've baked enough to know that you need a better serrated knife. You wouldn't use a general purpose <laughs> smooth blade like we that. We do have our one knife that we have a bread is, knife. Perfect, is perfect for bread. Yeah, we have a bread knife. Carter, what you doing? He can afford to use bad knives because he's rich and can just buy more bread if he fucks it up. It's all awesome. Sure. Uh, then we're in with some bangs because I have heated opinions on knife use, apparently. Um, and Benton and Cleo are eating breakfast with Jackie and the kids at Jackie's house. And Benton like goes to walk away to shut the kids up. And he's like, Jackie, be nice. Don't, don't ask her a million questions. He walks away and Jackie immediately asks uh, Cleo a million questions. <laughs> Does Which the protective sister thing right away. Like, I, it's, I know it's rude, like, it's not a nice thing that she's doing here, but I also love the way that uh, the actress, uh, Candy Alexander, I love the way that she plays this. Like, she's so good at it. And she, um, Jackie is not a fan of the fact that Cleo is not, like, super close to her family, it sounds like, the way that Jackie and Peter are. 
Yeah, I guess that I guess that is what her big because I, I was trying to figure that out as I was like watching. I was like, why? What is especially after Carla? Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> what is Jackie's criteria at this point for uh, an acceptable partner for uh, for That's, Benton? That was the gist I got from this. Was just like she was like, yeah, my family does its own thing. It's fine. Yeah. Well, we go back over to the ER. Uh, we have our first trauma of the episode. A young girl named Delia was in a car accident and. Uh, she has a history of leukemia, but she's been in remission for eight months. Uh, her dad needs some sutures, and Lauren with the eagle-eyed. Uh, I, I caught who, the, who oh, hey, that? it's that gal. I'm not going to spoil yeah. it. That's Daniel's bit, but I just want to say I caught it. Once I saw more, like, Lauren spotted it, like, right away as she was being pulled out of the ambulance. It took me a little bit more of seeing her to be like, oh, yeah, that's yeah. who. It's it's kind of a blink and you miss it because well especially because the neck collar right the neck collar obscures things and she's just not really that much of a focus as a patient like the the story yeah. the, you know the the whole this whole storyline or this whole plotline uh, sort of revolves around her but doesn't really directly involve her that much mm-hmm. um, but uh, starting with our dad here uh, he is played by actor Stephen Flynn who appeared in stuff like Justified Jag and The Practice and based on uh, some of the scenes we get a little bit later in this episode. It's just not very good. <laughs> like, <laughs> he, he's like one of the poorer uh, appearances we've had of like a, a one single episode guy. Like I just was like not convinced by, especially when him and uh, Abby have their little scene in the hallway later where he's like, just leave it alone. Like, just don't get involved. For some reason, I was just like, man, I would have taken another swing at this uh, casting this part. <laughs> like, I can, I cannot say I noticed at all. He just, I don't know. It wasn't like, there was nothing like egregious about it, but it was just to me. I was just like, eh, maybe, maybe take another pass at casting this guy. Um, but our daughter here, Delia, uh, she is played by definite. Oh, hey, it's that person, Dakota Fanning, uh, making her first on-screen role of any kind. Um, Jeez, cool. Yeah, so Good this is her. this is the beginning of her career here, um, and she has of course appeared in stuff like War of the Worlds, uh, where I think the world at large kind of took notice of her. Was War and of the Worlds had very dis- had very. Uh, Heated opinions one way or the other. I think I Am Sam is when she had her huge break. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's at least what I remember her from. Yeah. War of the Worlds was the first time I ever saw her in oh. anything. Like, no, yeah, that, like noticeably that was, saw her in anything. That was certainly the, the, the film that I remembered her from. But yeah, you are you are right, Lauren. I Am Sam was another um, big movie she was in around that time, uh, as well as Man on Fire. And of course has gone on to be like this a-list actress you know and is now like a fully grown adult and this made me very feel very old watching this <laughs> realizing that she's like you know barely out of being a toddler at this point watch war of the worlds and then watch the runaways and mm. it's and then yeah and you're and just then like watch, god i'm old and then watch once a time once upon a time in hollywood Oh, that's right. She is in Especially that. if you have a foot fetish. Shut <laughs> up. That that, that's any Quentin Tarantino movie, honestly. I know, but like it's she but her whole on screen time is the most egregious yeah. of he, that of he that, even, that stuff. No. It's you're thinking the brunette chick that hits on Brad Pitt. She's the one who's like hanging out with the old dude at the cabin. You don't see her feet like at all in that movie compared to the she, I don't know. He, he did. I, don't, I disagree. You know, he, don't listen to me. I'm a, I'm totally wrong on everything. It's fine. No, he uh, you are you are right because he even, yes, he even managed to slip it into his ER episode. So yep. yeah, <laughs> like the man has a problem. I'm just gonna say it. Uh, but uh, in any event, we go from there uh, 
to the admit desk where the nurses are giving Carol some car shopping tips. Uh, and Luca offers to uh, help get her a good deal uh, on a car at the place where he bought his. And uh, they say uh, all of the nurses kind of collectively agree that it's better to take a guy with you uh, because they won't try to scam you. Hmm. Or they're less I likely mean, to try to scam you. That's probably still true. I, I'm sure there's still some element of truth to that, yes. But it sets up a perfect premise for uh, Carol and Luca to take a little field trip this episode. So, yay. Uh, we uh, see uh, Abby giving uh, Lizzie uh, Delia's blood test results. Uh, it turns out her leukemia is back. Uh, Lizzie gets uh, cut off by... Uh, Mark and offers to go visit David with him and uh, while they they enter into the room and uh, it's the two the two bed um, exam room where uh, David has uh, a little roommate uh, Sarah McKenzie who's uh, played by actress Sarah Blomert Blomert uh, who appeared in stuff like The Blacklist uh, Pet Cemetery, and X-Files as well as Law and Order um, kind of a lot of she seems like kind of a one-off tv actress appears in a lot of different that, things i hate that i'm such stephen king trash that i was like yes but which pet cemetery couldn't tell you that that's <laughs> that is definitely I'm your department saying, like, that's... isn't there like four different versions or is it only two i think it's only two i think you're thinking salem's lot i would like oh, okay. to i would like to point out that my uh google doc every time i was typing the notes for this because of the like obtuse way that he spells cemetery uh kept trying to change it to pet seminary so, uh, <laughs> two very different it's a it is a miracle things. that i was able to get this in here uh spelled correctly um but uh while they're in there malik keeps trying to butt in and tell them that he can do the prep work that they're asking for for david uh but lizzie and mark lizzie and mark both keep kind of jumping in on it and it's just a, a fun little bit from malik who hasn't really gotten to do a whole lot this season like i've noticed mm-hmm. that we're definitely entering into the latter day uh, nurse stage of things where the nurses aren't getting to do as much as they used to, uh, which will eventually lead to them getting phased out in a few years, which kind of sucks. Except Ma- Malik won't be and Chuni won't be, but like uh, some like Lydia and Connie, like we're gonna we're gonna be losing some of them in just a couple of years, and that sucks. But th- this was just the first time that I took notice of that of like, oh yeah, we don't get to see the nurses do Mm-mm. as much just kind of stuff TM as we used to. It's okay, yeah. we'll get to see him wield an axe, I think, next season? Sure. Can't wait. <laughs> next season or, or the beginning of season eight, either one. Uh, but let's go to our first audio clip of the episode. Uh, Peter and Jackie are discussing Cleo. Reese went out like a light. Not only can she eat, she can play. Yeah, the kids like her. Mm-hmm. What about you? Since when do you care what I think? The question is, do you like her? I wouldn't have brought her here if I didn't. Are you serious about it? Jackie's a little early to be serious. I hope so, because she's not serious about you. All right. What's that supposed to mean? I'm just saying. She's having fun, but that girl's not ready to settle down. Who says I am? Oh, right. You're not so settled with a three-year-old. Oh, come on, Jackie. That doesn't mean I want to get married. She's nice, we have fun, but it's not serious, you know? Good. Glad to hear it. Then I like her too. So what is this, your female intuition thing again? Certainly not. Did she say something? She had to. I asked a million questions. 
I just, I'm sorry. I was so distracted because the split, the sprinkler audio was just in my right ear and the basketball was in my left and it was making it really hard for me to actually pay any attention to that audio. <laughs> Today on Lauren's had a long day at work. Um, but yeah, I, I appreciate that Jackie's trying to be a little overprotective after, uh, she screwed up so bad throwing Peter and Carla together. That now she's like, uh, yeah, she's yeah. like, uh, no, um, this girl's not serious about you. You've got a fucking three-year-old and you're going through sloppy shit with your child's mother. Like, you better have somebody who's serious about you because I don't want you wasting your time and getting hurt. Give it time. It takes time to build the bench. It's, it's a... <sighs> Need a sturdy foundation for any benches. Exactly. But yeah, so I, I appreciate Jackie. I think she comes on a little strong with this. She comes on strong with a lot, with a lot of things. She'd yeah. been a little milder in earlier seasons, so. But no, that you're, you're that's a good point, Lauren. The the added context of how she was a little bit aggressive with sort of like trying to push uh, Benton and uh, Carla together. Maybe she would have learned from that experience a little bit here and maybe tried to like be the voice of reason or maybe not, not the voice of reason, but voice of caution, you know, like maybe don't dive headfirst into this so yeah but then we go over to luca working on a little boy his name is edgar and he needs to give him an lp and he asks carter to assist on holding him still which carter does and we get another flashback via audio for carter um to lucy and during paul's lp and it is such a good illustration of dissociating and heightened anxiety during triggering situations like he is not there at all. He is reliving Paul's LP in that moment. Mm-hmm. Like Lizzie, would you agree that's a pretty, pretty well done? I think it's as reasonable as you could probably do. Yeah, on without a TV going show. without going over the top with yeah. it. That's yeah, that's the thing I like about it. Is both of these moments so far in the episode, it's clear what they are, but they're not going over like heavy handed with it. Yeah, I didn't remember that we actually got clips of Lucy's voice, too. Mm-hmm. Like, that was a little bit jarring to remember. Like, I was like, oh, shit. Like, we're actually getting, like, I, kn- I knew we were going to refer to Lucy again, but I never expected that we were going to hear her voice again. That was a little bit uh, unexpected. Then we go back over to uh, young Dakota Fanning. Uh, Abby's talking about bone marrow transplants with her dad. Uh, there's really no match within... Within what was it? Within the immediate family, I think. Something yeah. Like that, yeah. Yeah. So blood relative, I think, is what they specifically are. Mm-hmm. They specifically need because it's much more likely to be a match. Yeah. Uh, but so she's going to need uh, chemo again because her yeah because the leukemia is back, and uh, apparently Delia's half sister hasn't been tested. Uh, the his the dad's daughter from his first marriage, which ended quite poorly, uh, and he doesn't believe his ex wife would let his kid would let the half sister even be tested at all. Mm-hmm. Not great, Bob. No family dynamics. Yay. Mm. Well, we go from there back to, uh, the, uh, admit desk where Carol is, uh, going about to leave with Luca to go shop for her car. Uh, he gives Carrie a quick rundown of all the current patients. Uh, she then goes in to check on Edgar, uh, the, uh, LP patient from a little bit ago. And he immediately is like, not into her at all like he is not down with uh carrie being his doctor is uh yelling about what is she gonna do why does she have that stick i don't want her to touch me uh and then runs away 
Um, what a little shit. Yeah. <sighs> this is this is an interesting little through line thing in this episode, and I'm interested to see how uh, everybody feels about it as we go along. It it does lead to one of the more kind of fun and um, creative little music cues we've gotten in a long time. I love the little playful theme. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the little musical. I, like I, I, I hope that uh, Martin got to just have fun with that. Like I hope that he got to just like bum, bum, flex bum, his bum, muscles a little bit. Bum. Um. So we'll we'll touch on Edgar here a little bit later, but for now, Lizzie and Mark are talking about David uh, as they are looking in on him and uh, Sarah, his roommate, through the window, uh, and he's. I think it's Mark who says this. He's making new friends as usual. Uh, the test results show that he has post-obstruction pneumonia. Uh, they're going to keep him in the ER for a bit to see how he reacts to the uh, course of antibiotics he started on. Uh, and Mark goes around and starts to uh, borrow some supplies. Uh, this this made me irrationally angry. How why, how so? Just because it's like... Just because it offends I, your inherent uh, rule-following sensibility. That's probably it, but also it's like, if you were to think that like if it was... You know, Malucci, mm-hmm. or um, in later seasons, like let's say Archie or Pratt, mm-hmm. someone would get in trouble for this. But because it's Mark, he is grabbing just fistfuls of supplies <laughs> and nobody bats an eye. I mean, well, part of it is that he's, I mean, he's not like in charge, in charge, but he is like, he's an attending. So, like, I don't, I don't give a shit. Other, taking, other than Carrie, is there anybody who'd really be able to step to him uh, convincingly? Romano. Well, Romano, but like that would require I'm, Romano I'm to saying, look up it, from his own ego. It just bothers me. Just I, like, I yes, you're right. I'm inherent rule follower, <laughs> and the fact that he's just taking like handfuls of stuff to replenish his home shit. It he just, does. He does take quite a bit. He's got a whole box in front of him that he's filling up, and I love. I do love Elizabeth's line here, where uh, he. <laughs> She says, I love stealing. Let me help. It is is very cute. It's a very cute and important scene for the two of them. But just, you're right. I'm a goody two shoes. Suck up. Brown noser. And I, it bothers me. I was love you anyway. I was a little um, shocked at how, you know, like that's one of the things we haven't, we haven't really touched on this too much um, throughout the course of our time with the show, but like how different things are when it comes to like the drug lockup and things like that. Like how, mm-hmm. you know, they, yes, they have a drug closet, but like, it's, it's just essentially like it's a, not. it's a cabinet, you know, like it's a, it's a little tiny room. Whereas now, you know, in, in hospitals, it's like, it's a machine and it, it, it not only does it, not only are the drugs not accessible, but like it gets, it gets, uh, uh, distributed or, or dispensed in like, perfect dose amounts like you don't get the whole bottle of vicodin you just get two pills like you get exactly what you need for that specific patient and you have to like everything is charted everything is cataloged and everything and i imagine it's probably the same for a lot of supplies not probably not um probably not um cataloged and tracked to as intense of a degree as it is with like the opioid medication but like i was i was surprised in this uh scene at how readily accessible stuff like syringes were like he says like oh i need syringes and then just proceeds to reach a little bit further back into this like readily accessible shelf yeah. that is out open to everybody and grab like a hundred of them yeah and just grabs like right? a handful of fucking syringes and just tosses them in his box of goodies it was just like wow like any like 
any fun granted i want them using clean needles but like any junkie off the street could have just come in and grabbed as many as they needed and like bolted out the door like that would not I have, have been seen hard. like at the at one of the ERs we uh, that i've been to the unfortunate amount of times they do have like smaller versions of this but like it's mostly like linens and right. like gauze pads and simple stuff like that nothing nothing like needles or drugs or anything also, like that also snowflake petition to wipe the word junkie and instead say drug user fair but uh mark starts to uh, lose it a little while they stock up uh the weight of this whole situation is clearly starting to get to him um luca and carol are on the l yay uh, <laughs> <laughs> i love the l uh, she's nervous because he says his car is in the shop, which he got from the same place. So <laughs> he's such a little, he's such a little dweeb yeah. in this scene. He has so much fun teasing her and it's, it's, it's very cute to watch. And it's just, yes. It, it does weird me out. A, I mean, I, I get it that like, they're the focus and uh, like, obviously we're paying attention to them first and foremost, but it, it was weirding me out how completely silent the rest of the car was and mm-hmm. how loudly they were talking. <laughs> like the, yeah. the two of them are standing in the it's middle of the show. car. Well, I know, but like, I'm so used to the, the hospital scenes where there's always phones ringing in the background and there's, and I've also just mm. never been on a train unless it's empty. I've never been on a train that's completely silent. Like there's always some kind of ambient noise. There's always some kind of like something. And it was just, it was just jarring to have them like, be the only sound in the car is these two people standing in the middle of it talking loudly. Yeah. I was like, that was like 90% of my train trips involve like involve very little, very little to no people talking mm-hmm. in the car that I'm usually in. So yeah. I, th- I thought you, but like, yeah, like if there's no like ambient, like there's track hardly rattling. any ambient noise in that at all. Yeah. yeah. But then we go over to Carter talking to Mrs. Pooler, his new patient, and she's having trouble breathing. We find out that she has been taking her husband's, I believe it was Propanerol? Propanerol? Yeah, something like that. Um, Which is contraindicated for her existing asthma, but she's been doing it because she is on Medicare. The husband is on his own HMO, and she doesn't want to switch because she likes her doctor. So... She's not getting all the prescriptions that she needs. So he was just like, she just takes mine. See, this this threw me for a loop. But like, because like my parents' Medicare plan that they have, like the drugs are completely covered. Mm. Like it's like my Medicaid. I don't pay anything for, I don't pay copays for drugs. So yeah, I don't know. I, don't, I it's think the ninety, it's the it's the late aughts or the early aughts. Yeah, I don't, but this is I'm, also I'm, no, I'm done talking. This this is also pre affordable uh, care act true, too. Yeah, so yeah. things some of those things may have changed with that law. Yeah, but I'm also just saying like it's such a weird concept to me. Sure. Oh yeah. No. It, this this is the prime. This is a prime example of a uh, the system is a hellscape patient. Like this is yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> this is one this of whole the, scenario. This, this whole scenario just exists to illustrate the stupidity of the system. Like. Um, but uh, of the two here, Mr. Pooler is kind of the one we deal more with, uh, deal with more exclusively, uh, and he is played by actor Biff McGuire, a to your name. Uh, yeah, that's a that's a hell of a name. Uh, who appeared a uh, real classic Hollywood actor here? He played in stuff like Serpico, The Thomas Crown Affair, uh, among many other things. And actually, despite his age in this episode, only passed away just last year. Uh, in 2021 wow so, good for him good for him uh he might have been our if he if he wasn't by the numbers i'm just going to bestow upon him the the <laughs> uh credit of being our high water person for the episode because he had 87 credits dating all the way back to 1950 yeah he gets so, it it's fine yeah 
Uh, then we go, and Carrie and Malucci are talking about little boy Edgar's labs, and he's doing okay, but Carrie says that she's going to have Dave get him settled and spiff him up a little bit. So just take care of him. Dave, he's Dave's patient for the day. Uh, and then we go to Wrigley Field, <laughs> uh, where Carol and Luca are wondering why there's no car lot here. And Carol's like, what the fuck? We're, it's, it's Wrigley. It's Wrigley. There's not going to be a used car lot right across the street from a baseball stadium. And I'm just saying, and Lizzie, what did you note about this shot? Oh, just how fucking empty everything is. Mm-hmm. Like, because that whole area is like, was in the last like five years-ish has been completely redeveloped to be more of like, more of like a tourist attraction. Mm-hmm. Like there's lots of, there's lots more restaurants. It's like, they have like a bowling alley. There's, that's like more like, more meant to be like more of a one-stop shop type of thing. Like you just set up temporary residence at Wrigleyville <laughs> and have a good time um, with all your national chains and a couple of local ones there. Never go to the Cubby Bear folks. It sucks. Um, yeah. So we we're like, oh, hi, the 22 bus, which is the bus we take a lot. The Clark Street bus. Very prominent in the back on that signage. And I was like, hey, that's our bus. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's very, very weird to see. Um, but there's a, conveniently, there's a hot dog cart right in front of Wrigley Field. As you do. On a non-game day. We'll get to that. Yeah. But... Well, it might be pre-game because they are like, they do look like they're prepping the field a little bit later. Well, we'll get to it. We will get to it, yes. Uh, but for now, uh, Abby uh, tells uh, Delia's dad that legal says they can't do anything to get the half-sister tested without the wife's consent. I should point out in this scene, too, that she's sort of like – they're not so much talking as she is, like, following him down the hallway and mm-hmm. explaining this to him as he walks away. And this was – for some reason, this was the part that, like, got me where, like, when he get, does his, like uh, – feigned anger at this where he's just mad that she's even getting her nose into it and is even getting involved this was the part where i was like this guy's not a very good actor like he's just not selling it for me to a degree that most of these one-off actors usually are like he's just not up to the usual standard um but uh so we'll check in on uh, what's going on with abby and uh delia's situation a little bit later uh but for now we find out that mrs pooler is being sent up to the icu uh, she has had a surgery related to her stomach previously, and Carter is going to go up to medical records to see what it was. And then, yeah, it's, it's, it, it's probably a non-game day because Carol and Luca are just chilling in Wrigley Field. Eating their hot dogs. Yeah. Sitting in the seats. Eating their hot dogs that they bought out front. In an empty stadium. Yeah. Empty except for the maintenance people. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, it looks like, to me, it looks like they're like prepping the field. Like they're doing the sprinklers and there's, they're setting up the batting cage thing. Like to me, it looks like they're setting up for a game right. later that day, but they but wouldn't I'm let them s- in this right. early. I was going to say like, even if they are pregame, they wouldn't let them in. No, yeah. no, this makes no sense. No, I've just. Do Carol and Luca have tickets for this game? Probably not. How the fuck did they get in there? Do they sneak in there and just no one fucking cares? Because they're Cause pretty. Didn't they do the same? They did the same thing with Soldier Field. Yeah, Lucy and so. in the episode, Lucy and in the Carter, episode that I don't like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Lucy yeah. and Carter just wander in and and make it all the way down onto the field. In uh, in that episode, they make it all the way down onto the field to talk to a groundskeeper. So like, yeah, there's. It's clearly just like 1912 rules, and they just like wander in and do whatever they want. Like it's. I will say though, seeing them in those seats, like 
in the like they're in the general section where I sat a lot when I would go with when I actually used to like the Cubs. Um, I'm a White Sox fan now, but um, fuck the Ricketts family. That's all I'm gonna okay, say. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, no, but it may be very nostalgic looking looking at those seats and like looking especially like the uh, the underhang mm-hmm. where we had our seats. date. Yeah, exactly. Where Warren and I watched a game or two. Um. I still haven't been to Wrigley Field. I want to go. I mean, I've been to the. I, we we rode the bus like right outside of it, but like I. We were on the twenty two. Yeah, yeah, there was, but there was no game happening that weekend. So like I still. Have you been to Comiskey? I have been to Comiskey. It's fine. Yeah. It's you know like will, I haven't been since I was a kid. It was like it was uh you could get tickets like insanely close to the field for like not that much money. Like we we yeah, we spent maybe tracks. like thirty bucks a piece for tickets and we're like yeah. three rows off the field. Yeah, I could see that. But uh, we learned that Luca's dad was a train conductor, and Carol tells him about her dad dying when she was really little. So, some bonding. We're getting some emotional. We're getting some Hathavatch. Uh, then we go back. Uh, Carter is up in medical records. They couldn't find Mrs. Pooler's previous chart, so they're going to call for remote storage and have it in a couple hours. But Carter has also pulled Paul's chart. And he goes to sit to look at it. And right when he sits down and starts looking through it, um, Dr. Durad from Psych runs into him. Carter lies and says he's looking at an asthma patient's chart. And Dr. Durad invites Carter up to Psych to chat later that day. I have a question for the class. Mm-hmm. No, what? <laughs> just, I, you guys probably wouldn't know, but just general anyone who might know, would Carter taking out... Um, Paul. Paul's chart, would that raise any red flags anywhere? At this point where it's all still paper charts, probably not. Uh, now, okay. nowadays, where it's... Well, it's hard to say because, like, I guess technically he was one of the doctors of record. Yeah, uh, he was in, a treating physician. Yeah, yeah, so I guess it probably wouldn't even in today's case where, you know, everything is electronic and stuff. But, like, I know with nurses, like, if you pull charts for a case that you're not on... It doesn't matter if you don't do anything with them. It doesn't matter. Simply accessing them is enough to trigger disciplinary action in a lot of cases. Uh, so it would definitely raise a flag if he was not involved in it. But because I guess he was involved in it, I guess he's allowed to. And it would just be like, I still don't fully, I don't think he really knows either what he's hoping to achieve by going back over the chart. Like, I don't know that, I don't know that he really knows what, uh, he's hoping to find or hoping to learn from it. Um, but it's it's certainly an interesting choice for him to do that. Mm-hmm. All right, let's go to our next audio clip then. Uh, David and Sarah are having lovely chats about naval careers. That was a hell of a time, that's for sure. Sam did two tours. Wanted to do a third, but I told him I'd kill him. He heard me. Yeah, what are you doing? Ms. McKenzie and I are talking. Please, call me Sarah. Paul Sock's dead. You gotta leave it on your finger. I didn't even know it was on. Her husband's an old naval man, too. Even served in Vietnam, although later than I did. Is that so? He still thinks he's a Navy man. Out on the lake right now, running around in his old power boat, says it keeps him sane. Isn't this thing supposed to be dripping? I understand what he means. Try and keep your elbows straight. I love being out on the water. Sometimes in the middle of the night, you'd, you'd get a storm. 30-foot waves coming in different directions. Rocking and rolling like you wouldn't believe. Still, 
I'd put you to sleep like a little baby. I'd wake up at dawn, go out to the tip of the bow, and the water would be clear and calm. A ship slicing through it like cool air. Calmest place on earth, I used to think. Like the storm never even happened. Something about these just like gravelly, raspy monologues he gives in this episode are just like exactly what I want. Because this is our second to last episode with him. I want to. Yep. I want to say yes. I believe it's next episode that the, you know, yeah, that the unfortunate occurs. I but just. I, I just want him to read everything. To yeah. Me. Right. Yeah. Like I want to, and I want to know, like, is this like, is this a voice that he can just drop into, or does he have to just like, you know, smoke cigarettes all afternoon to get his voice to sound like this? Like, <laughs> like I want to know, like I want to know how John Cullum got to this point. Like I want to know, like, is this just a thing he can do on on command? I was, thank you. I was about to say something, but I realized you would have no frame of reference having never watched a Lord of the Rings film. So um... never have, never will. Was John? Wait, no, John Cullen wasn't in Lord of the no, Rings. No, but I was going to say it's like how. That's exactly uh, the kind Sirk... of lie she would tell to no, trick me I into watching never. one. Though. I would never. It's like how Andy Circus had to beat the shit out of his voice to do oh. the Gollum voice, and like he gotcha. had special like tea concoctions that they were giving him on a regular basis on shooting days because he like just wrecked his vocal cords for that performance. Oof. So, yeah, just worth it. Yeah, feasible that. John Cullum is just beating the shit out of his vocal cords for this, but but yes, Lizzie, I just go back to it's toasted, and how <laughs> soft and like buttery his voice is there. And to think and also, too, like they do such a good job, you know, with the makeup and just his mm -hmm. voice and everything of making him look like such a broken down, just like at the end of his like life, basically old man here, yeah. just a dying man, right? Yeah. And this is two thousand, which means we got another what full eight nine years seven, eight years seven eight nine years before he's on mad men <laughs> like yeah it's just the, the man is incredible yep it's amazing now what I, you can do with a good makeup department now i just have that clip stuck in my head lizzie damn it it's toasted i'm just sitting going shame on you um but then abby has gone are we sorry are we done with that i'm just gonna keep dropping john column lines from Go for mad it. men uh abby has gone to delia's dad's ex's house so the ex-wife's house to talk to the mom and half-sister about getting testing done to see if she's a match for Delia. And the, the half-sister's name is Jessamine? Yeah, it took me... I, at first, when I wrote my notes, I, I wrote it down as Jasmine because I was like, this nope. can't... That can't be nope. what I heard. Jessamine. That's a white people that's name. That's a peak white people bullshit That's like name. a... That's a white people, like, Little House on the Prairie name. Like, yeah. and, <laughs> that, that um, name churns butter. And... <laughs> Je Jessamine sounds interested in what Abby has to say and wants to hear her out, but uh, mom kicks her out. I, Mom's having none of it. Question for the class. Is this whole uh, visit here by Abby, is this not a HIPAA violation? This is oh, so this wrong. Oh, this is a massive HIPAA violation. <laughs> like, I was like, just by going to their house, you're committing like several offenses that should end your career. Like, this is not okay. This is not an episode of House. Right? Like, I was just put off by this whole field trip that abby takes here where i was just like this is not 
this is not kosher. You should not be doing this. I mean, people can just go into Wrigley Field with hot dogs that they buy outside right? the stadium. No rules. And just Anarchy. Anarchy. There, yeah, there are no rules. Well, uh, Jessamine here is played by actress Julie Berman, who appeared in stuff like the TV series Casual, Chicago Med, uh, General Hospital, among many others. Uh, and the mother here, uh, Mrs. Lomax, is uh, played by actress Sydney Walsh, who appeared in stuff like Point Break and A Nightmare on Elm Street 2, canonically the gay one. Seriously, there's an entire Nightmare on Elm Street that is like, just just watch Nightmare on Elm Street 2, kids. No, I, I know. I know. <laughs> I've seen it. I know. Anyway, uh, Luca and Carol are finally at the dealership, and this is one of my favorite early Luca scenes. Just because of how much of a <laughs> doofus he is going around from car to car and being like, hey, this one only has 90,000 miles on it. It has power windows and only $8,000. Power oh. steering. Yeah. Power locks. And just, he, I, I love, I love Luca so much. So very, very much. This is a very good Luca episode. Say what you will about some of the stuff that happens in it with him. This is a very strong Luca episode. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. really up until like the last five minutes, it's fine. Like the whole th- is just, it's, it, it, I love a good field trip episode. Like, you know, I love a good field trip episode. So I was totally here for them, like breaking, uh, breaking and entering into Wrigley Field and going car shopping. And it just, all of it works for me. Until the very end. Uh, But uh, we go uh, from there back to the ER where Edgar is creeping around watching Carrie. I believe this is where we get our first drop of the little strange, Mm -hmm. strange music. Uh, Which, again, shout out to Martin for just an excellent little cue there. Which, again, I like when he gets to do stuff that's outside of the norm. It's got to be boring to have to do the same uh, somber tones week after week. That when he finally gets a chance to do something fun, uh, he gets a little weird with it. Uh, but she tells Malucci to get him back uh, into exam two. So we'll check back on them a little bit later. Uh, Chen is talking to two adults about an elderly woman with pneumonia and says it's uh, best for them to just let nature take its course. Uh, she hasn't been eating uh, and it doesn't seem like she has a DNR. And uh, if she does, the son is fighting it like it like. The son is, uh, based on what I, they're not very clear about the family dynamics here, but I'm pretty sure that we're, we have the son and the granddaughter here and, uh, both of them are, uh, just not down with letting her go quietly. They really are pushing very hard for them to get, if Chen won't help them, they want to get another doctor who will. So, uh, we'll check. Chen feels very shoehorned into this episode. This whole uh, patient and this whole thing exists purely so that Mark can have a moment later. Like, th- yeah. this doesn't It's need... a good moment. Oh, like, it's a great it, moment. But... but it just sucks that we had to waste Chen on such a, like, yeah. completely meaningless patient that does not matter. Um, like, oh, just throw Ming-Na Wen in there. She she can act. Yeah, like, Fine. it's just, you know, I'm, I'm happy for her. I'm happy for my girl got a paycheck that week. But, like, it just... It, you're right. She just feels very shoehorned into this whole thing. Um, but uh, Abby comes back to see uh, Delia and Dad chatting in the exam room. We'll check back in on them a little bit later. All right, let's go to our next audio clip then. Uh, Carter's upstairs with Dr. Durad. Well, I keep having these thoughts. It's like I uh, see moments of the accident or something that reminds me. The accident? I'd say it was more of an attack, a brutal attack for which you had no warning. Right. Well, that's the thing. See, I assisted on the spinal tap on Paul Sabricki. And he was aggressive. 
and he was overreacting. And he'd had Ativan, and I'd numbed him with lidocaine, but his, his response was as if we were stabbing him. In his mental state, he thought you were. I, th I should have realized that something was very wrong. So should have Lucy, but she didn't pick up on it either, did she? There's always going to be what ifs. What if I had gotten down there sooner for the psych consult? It'd be easier for all of us if we could think of it as an accident, but none of us have that luxury. I know. I just want to get these thoughts out of my head. It's going to take some time. Have you seen him? Paul Sabricki? Yeah, I was just wondering if you'd seen him or his wife. No, I haven't. You're curious about what's happening with him? No, no, I just... It's a 911. I gotta go. Um, thank you. Anytime. Come back. Well, when he says, well, in his mental state, you were. I also like that the uh, that Durad like calls out his own culpability in the situation too, where he's like, mm -hmm. if, "What if I had made it down there sooner to get the psych consult?" You know, like there's, it was a failure on multiple levels. And yeah, there was something wrong, Carter. You were harming your patient, whether in his head or real. You stop. It's my one biggest thing with all with the whole storyline. Mm -hmm that maybe you st maybe you just stop you give him more drugs or you do something else yeah i mean well something. No, but, i mean not to like go back and like re you know litigate that episode again but like his whole state in that whole episode is agitated and dismissive you know so yeah i know but i'm just saying like specifically in that instance yeah. like just, just uh, still conjures up bad memories so let's move on oh <laughs> But Dr. Durad was also another person I'd like to have narrate my life. All right, moving no, on. Yeah. Yes. Excellent, I, excellent voice work, and uh, I it's hard for me to accept him as compassionate uh, psych attending in this series <laughs> because in the series that I know him best from, The Wire, uh, he's a prick police chief who like is as horrible as he can be. So like it's just very weird for me to think of him as this like compassionate level-headed psychiatrist when he's such an awful human being in that show. Well, when he's in the Midwest, he's great. When he's on the East coast, he's awful. Apparently so. The East coast does awful things to people. Apparently, apparently so. Also, I love how he calls out and he says accident. Mm -hmm. This was a fucking attack. Yeah. It's interesting though that I feel like that does give a little tiny bit of insight into how Carter is trying to downplay it downplay but also like how he's just trying to compartmentalize the whole situation mm -hmm. in his mind like he's he's oh. trying to make sense of it in any way he can any any therapist worth their weight and salt will help you reframe shit like even even minor shit compared to this but like anybody's gonna be like no yeah. let me call you on that nope check that carol picked out a new car hey good for her <laughs> it's a small station wagon and she is not thrilled about that and the guy <laughs> There's no such thing as a small station wagon. But the guy's, like, sending her off, and he's like, well, you know, hope you're back in 10 years to get a new one from us. And she goes, God, I hope I'm not driving this in 10 years. She's basically driving off in the, like, late 90s uh, equivalent of the the wagon family truckster from mm -hmm. vacation. Like, it's... <laughs> I 
I saw the other day uh, driving down the street. I saw one of the station wagons with the backward facing uh, seats with like the kids in the back. Oof. Like I saw it was a full station wagon and I saw like two kids in the ba- backwards facing seats and Those they looked the at sh- me so sad. Those <laughs> were the shit when I was a little kid. I never got to ride. In we one. had yeah. we had one. I think it was like a rental for a few weeks while our after after something happened with our minivan. But yeah. Uh, that was the shit sitting in those little seats in the back. Yep. And then uh, David scolds Mark for stealing supplies. Go, David. And Chen asks Mark for help with the elderly woman's family. Hey, can you come over here and give me a hand with this exposition? Yep. Yeah. Uh, and Carter's responding to that 911 page. Uh, apparently, Mr. Pooler fainted and hit his head real bad upstairs. And yikes. Doesn't, it's not, not a very pretty sight. Uh, but why is Lizzie bringing him down? Because they were up in the ICU. Why is Lizzie bringing him down to the ER? She had nothing to do with this case. Yeah. I guess maybe she was just the closest person responding maybe. at the time. It's, they certainly can't let Shirley come down to the ER anytime. I don't know, uh, but I'm not thrilled with it. And Lauren? Whose films are those? Gotta get it in. Gotta of get course. it in. Uh, Always. Mark is in to talk to the family of the elderly woman and explains in somewhat excruciating detail the process of what intubating her would look like and why it's just better for them to kind of let nature take its course here. And uh, this is uh, is him talking to the son and the granddaughter here. And and again, as we touched on earlier, this whole scene and this whole patient exists purely so that Mark can kind of repeat uh, out loud to somebody else what it what is essentially happening happening with david like it's so that david's future right he's sort of like seeing the error of his ways a little bit which actually kind of retroactively makes me appreciate the twist and turns of him keeping him out of the home a little bit because it it leads us to this a little bit where he kind of sees that he's been he hasn't been taking his father's wishes into account he hasn't been doing he's been being kind of selfish about the whole thing and this is a little bit of a, a kind of course correction in that regard Mm -hmm. like he doesn't fully fix his mistakes previous his previous mistakes but like you can see quite clearly written on his face as he leaves the room leaves the trauma room that he at least understands it a little bit better now and he understands where david is coming from yeah so uh and then back at the admit desk uh jessamine has come in on her own uh to get tested for a match uh and uh, Carrie intervenes and says they can't test her since she's a minor and mom is the guardian. Um, and uh, she makes quite clear that she's not here to see her dad, does not want anything to do with him, just wants to help uh, little Dakota Fanning. So she's got a career ahead of her after all. She wants to, you know, get in on that. All right. Uh, so let's go to, is this one of the backstories that's retconned for Luca? I think this one actually sticks for the most part. Yeah, I this think familiar. yeah this this one I think actually for the most part sticks. I think it's it's the previous explanation that we got earlier in the season about what happened to them, and the name thing from last episode I think is also a retcon where the 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 daughter becomes the mother and vice versa and like it's just the, every every time Luca's backstory comes up I just get annoyed that like no one in the writers room had a fucking notepad by their side that could, they could just jot this shit down on so they no could one, keep it straight no one kept a character bible well let's get uh, one of Luca's many backstories uh, here as Carol and Luca are eating trashy burgers down on museum campus 
Good eating today. Hot dog, <laughs> hamburger. French fries. Mmm. Thank you. I haven't been through a drive-thru in I don't know how long. Hey, it would have been a pity to have left the car all alone on its first day. Yes, I agree. When I first came to Chicago, I used to come out here a lot you know, to look at the city. It's so beautiful. Did you grow up in the city? No, near the coast. Is that where you were during the war? No. Then we were in uh, Vukovar. A small apartment. I didn't have much money. We kept the children in all the time for safety. They would get crazy. What, what do you call it? Uh, Cabin fever. Yeah. I was going to the market, not for much, some cheese and bread. And they were climbing all over me. Please let me come, let me come. And the answer was the same as always. No, it's, it's not safe. And my wife stayed with them. Luca. No, it's OK. I was only maybe uh, 50 meters away when I heard the whistle in the air. Ar artillery shell hit the building. It's already done now. People rebuilt all during the war. One day you are sitting at a cafe, the next day it's bombed. And the day after that, they, they begin to build. That's what you do. Something happens, you rebuild, you go on. We should probably go. Your mother will think you've gone joyriding. <laughs> Uh, first off, I love that line. Something something happens, you rebuild, you move on. Mm-hmm. That's Sec a life lesson, folks. Second off, why are there so many fucking foghorns in the background? <laughs> there are none of these in the Chicago area of Lake Michigan. And why are there all the buoy noises? This is no. Because they got and, they they use the track Harbor Sounds 06. Like I guess. And Lizzie, you had a note about where they're parked. Yeah, you can't fucking park there. Well, they couldn't go into like, Wrigley Field either. They're breaking all yeah, the but, rules. But just Jesus. That's Christ. like a grassy lawn. That's not even a parking lot where they're at. Are there very many drive-throughs in Chicago proper too? If it's like yeah. McDonald's or Sonic. Yeah, there's yeah. there's plenty of like, but not fat, the like weird chain, ass like fast food chains. Not the weird that. ass shit that they grabbed. They grabbed like I first thought they were getting gyms based off that bag. I don't know. But no, there's there's not many like independent. Yeah, we have drive-throughs like that. Mini that's, but the that strip they're on is right between shed, the Shed Aquarium and the Adler Planetarium. A little bit that a little bit of land that just juts out, sort of like Navy Pier does. Mm. Yeah, that's kind of what I thought. That maybe that was either near or around when I was watching because I have no idea about Chicago geography, mm -hmm. but it's a very beautiful place in the city. I've been there multiple times and I love it. Mm -hmm. it. It is one. It is excellent. 
Um, but also another good moment. Uh, I love Luca. I love I love how well he presents these stories. I also love the touch that he says that it was in meters, not in feet. How far mm-hmm. away he was from the building. Yeah. Let's all you let's all learn the metric system that okay. we, so we can better understand. <laughs> 150 feet. Great. Uh, so then we go. Carrie sees Edgar creeping on her from his exam room, and she asks Randy where Malucci is. And she peeks into exam two after, like, checking in on exam one where um, where Edgar was, like, looking at her. She goes into exam two and sees Abby doing a blood draw on Jessamine. Oops. Oopsies. And th- their, like, caught in the act face is so good. But uh, Carrie tells Abby that she can fail her for not following protocol and not following the rules. And she also notes it's our crappy job to sometimes have to say no. And... Abby responds with, I don't think trying to help is ever stupid. Which is a just disgustingly precocious line. Like, I just, something about that line, just like, I was like, this feels it's, a little, it's very, little beneath Abby. It's, it's very season five Lucy. Yeah, like, it's just a little too, like, I don't know what the word is, but Saccharin. like, maybe, like, it's just a little after school specially, little schoolhouse Rocky, like, just, yeah, just, I think I think more of Abby than that. <laughs> she's not the Abby. She's not the fully formed Abby we know and love. She's still she's still growing. Yeah, I, I like the I w- I'm gonna and I want to clarify too. Like before people jump down my throat about it, I like the spirit of the line. I just don't like the plain English of the line itself. Like the line itself is a little too on the nose and a little too schmaltzy for my taste. But the spirit of the line is fine. Anyway, we go over to Carter. He's talking to Weaver about Mr. Pooler and his HMO issues. Uh, they need to transfer him to another hospital for his HMO, even though his wife it will be remaining at county. And he's like, "Oh, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna sign up on." I'm, he's, he's trying to like, uh, what's the term? What's the term with moth? Not mothball. Just like delay the. He's like, "Oh, I'm not gonna do this. Oh, I'm not gonna do this." And Carrie's like, "No, I'll do it." Then then grabs the chart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like no, none of this bullshit today. Uh, and then uh, we go from there. Uh, Luca is uh, talking about a film that was being done at his grandfather's farm. Uh, this is as they're driving down the street. Uh, did, uh, did either one of you clock exactly where this looked is? like Lakeshore Drive? Yeah, it was. It was, I think, was this on? Was this on Wacker? That we're not there yet. This is this because this remember this happens up on Lakeshore, and then you said they teleported a couple miles down to Wacker. They they stall out on Lakeshore Drive and then okay. they're pushing the car later onto Wacker. I don't remember the specific scene, so I'll take your word for it. Yeah, but yeah, so as they're driving down the street, uh, I, yes, I, Lord, I think I know exactly what you're talking about because they kind of go from like a flat street to all, yeah. all of a sudden they're on a highway on ramp, like very kind of yeah. sort of like they're like they're nowhere near skyscrapers and then all of a sudden they're pushing it down the street with like a bunch of buildings. Yeah, right yeah, nearby. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but they're driving down the street uh, when the car stalls out and Luca uh, is says that he's going to kill Herb. <laughs> and Carol replies that we didn't even meet Herb. <laughs> and he says something like, you know, oh, this the same thing happened with my car, uh, but he told me it was a fluke. And yeah. she's like, why didn't you tell me that to begin with? <laughs> like, uh, So Luca starts to work on it. And there is some very good facial acting from Carol, mm-hmm. too, when he's like, really from both of them like it's kind of like it's they're kind of doing a little vaudeville act a little bit where like luca keeps looking around the hood and giving her like thumbs up and like it's gonna be good and carol's just like just done with it it's a very good little moment speaking of great moments really uh let's go to mark and david are down near lake michigan 
Some years seem to pass faster than others. Yeah. Well, this year has been the fastest. I was thinking how strange things can be. You know, that in all the wars I served in, I never watched a man die. On some ships, you get lucky. But I must have told you about that time we had an explosion in, at the base motor pool. When you were stationed in Guam? Yes. I was little. Mom and I were in San Diego. And I remember you called and told her about it over the phone. We lost seven men. I was in the exchange when it happened. I was looking for some shaving cream or something. Everybody scrambled out. I started to, me and this lieutenant in the aisle next to me. The shampoo section, as I recall. Next thing I know, I hear this crash. I turn and all these bottles come flying off the shelf and this poor son of a bitch is collapsing on the floor. He had a heart attack. What'd you do? Well, I screamed for help, but no one came because they were all over at the motor pool. I got down, I loosened his tie and unbuttoned his collar. He grabbed onto my hand, begged me not to leave him. So I stayed. And I pulled him into my arms and I held him. Just the two of us. For the next four minutes, I watched him die. The longest four minutes of my life. But in a crazy way, four of the best minutes of my life. There was some kind of value in just being there. Thank you, Mark. For bringing me out to the water. You're welcome, Dad. Sam? Dr. Green. Sam, uh, I'd like to meet my father. This is David Green. Dad, this is Sam McKenzie, Sarah McKenzie's husband. How do you do, sir? What the hell? What the hell? <laughs> Just so good. Just some of the, some parts of this episode are really bad are really bad. <laughs> but dear God, I love David. This is a this is like peak David. Yeah. This is this honestly, this three and a half minutes right here and and then the the scene that uh afterwards um with it uh with the two of them it just really like kind of carries the episode in a way like it, it just really we're, we're finally getting to like the culmination of this whole storyline and like 
it's been so well done i think from beginning to end and it's it pays off in ways like this yeah it never feels rushed no and it never feels drawn out either like they paced this perfectly yeah. and the way he describes the whole fastest year thing mm-hmm. like you remember that like god damn his mom died at the beginning of this season and yeah. he's right mm-hmm. like you know you think about you think about that first scene we saw of Mark's dad this season when he's still the grumpy guy in the garage but now he's the grumpy guy in the garage whose wife just died and to think of where we started to where we are now is it really uh you you can't believe that that was all taking place within the same 12 month period like i said we're watching a different show yeah it really is and uh you heard at the end of the clip there mr mckenzie uh he was uh the husband of uh, yep. uh which again so many of the the surrounding patients in this episode exist purely to like continue to push the mark and david storyline to its inevitable okay conclusion. but sarah's, uh, she's, sarah's she's better than the yeah she's better than the the non-dnr lady from uh, chen's patient but um mr mckenzie here is played by actor dan conway who uh, appeared in stuff like rookie of the year and betrayed and i really only grabbed him here because uh i always like to grab anybody who is no longer with us because nobody's ever going to have much of a reason to talk about him uh you know in any other context so uh, he did pass away in 2012. Gotcha. Uh, then we go back. Carrie is transferring Mr. Pooler, and he says he'll call once they get him settled at the other hospital. And Carrie's like, oh, well, they don't have uh, direct lines upstairs in the ICU, so if you call me, I can relay a message to her and let you know how she's doing and all this stuff. But clearly she feels terrible about it as um, the ambulance is closed and he drives away. Ain't that American healthcare system great? Huzzah! Speaking of excellent things, uh, Card- let's listen to our last audio clip here. Uh, Carter and Samantha Sabricki are walking down Michigan Avenue. How's Paul doing? He's at Chester. I guess that's the main place for Illinois. They put him on medication. What did you want to talk about, Dr. Carter? I just keep thinking about what happened and... You're not the only one. Sometimes the thoughts in my head seem to be as loud as the voices Paul seems to hear. I lived with him. I slept with him. I'm about to bear his child. How could I not see it? I don't know. Everyone's looking for something to latch on to in this situation. Yep. What is closure? (laughs) Yeah. And honestly, with depending on how it manifested like in their personal lives, I could see it being a totally like a thing like you live with someone for so long, you very you don't really notice if something big happens. Mm-hmm. It's just like, oh, he's been stressed. He's been agitated with school. Yeah, he's been a, he's been a little weird. He's been a little whatever, but he's not psychotic like Right. He is, but can't st- So I could see you could just you just don't really notice when you see someone on a day to day basis. Yeah. There's not like one day where, oh yeah, hey, maybe something's wrong with Paul. Can't see the forest for the trees comes to mind. Yeah. Uh, then we go for, to Luca pushing Carol's car while it's in neutral along Upper Wacker Drive, right off Lakeshore. This is close to where I took the bus home this morning or after work today, actually. 
I was right there. Um, and the weather shifted from cloudless in the middle of the day to super <laughs> foggy real fast. Yeah, it did. Oh, I mean, I know Chicago weather is not can, can, this can turn on a dime, but not. Yeah, quite that is that. that is very obviously a different day. Yeah. Uh, and then Mark and David get a lovely view up on the top deck of Mr. McKenzie's boat to some beautiful music. Some Just wonderful shot of the two of them. Absolutely breaks my heart. Um, some Simon and Simon and Garfunkel, if I remember correctly. I, it's I, I can't it. remember the name of the song, but it's definitely a Simon and Garfunkel. Mm-hmm. And then Mrs. Lomax, Jessamine's mom, comes in to see Jessamine. And Abby takes her over to where Jessamine and Delia are sitting together talking. And Abby says, everybody wants this, Mrs. Lomax. And Carrie looks and looks like she's going to intervene for a minute, but then walks away before turning around to wave at Edgar in his bed because she can see him through the little curtain. And he smiles and waves back. Is it purely the strength of the little music drop between Carrie and Edgar that makes it work? Because now that we've come to the end of this episode and, and you know, we'll never see Edgar again. We're never going to follow up on this again. Not that they need to, but like this should be a complete waste of Carrie's time for an episode to basically just yeah. have like a, a waving contest with this child and never actually interact with him beyond that first uh, meeting. And yet I'm the music, I'm weird, the music does yeah, it. I'm weirdly okay with it. And I think it's the music that does it. Like, I think that's what gets me there. And then we come to the end of the episode. Carol and Luca are still in that same spot. Only now, only now it's hours later <laughs> and it's nighttime. Like clear night too. Yeah. Like you wouldn't go to any one of the, the any number of buildings that are very within a half mile radius of where you are to maybe be like, Hey, I don't, I don't know, just to do something. Something, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but they're talking about looking forward to... They're talking about how Carol's looking forward to Tess and Kate starting their own little lemonade stand. Oh. Yeah. Tow truck still isn't there, obviously. And Lauren is the only person who isn't here for... Who is. This, or who is here for this kind of mm. awkward looking kiss. Yeah! If I'm it's, being honest. It's... Which... Uh, yeah, it's fine. I'm here for it. I don't hate it. They're fine. Well, I don't hate it. It's just I wish the they could have maybe done a different take. I, well, I'm just saying. Okay, I don't hate Hathabach. I just feel. Okay, I just fair. feel like some advanced. Uh, we need to like dig deeper into this, and some advanced level analysis is warranted here. And that's why I pulled uh, a little bonus clip on top. Oh, Jesus. On top of the extra. Uh, on top of the five clips we already had, or six clips we already had, we have a little extra bonus one for you as well. This place is cursed. What is it with you and curses? Yeah, I ain't happy with that good curse. <laughs> this is cursed. That is cursed. Give it a rest, will ya? <laughs> Am I missing the context here? The it's the second mummy movie when they're um when they're getting the chest back and oh. one of the guys is like this is cursed. We should not be here. Don't open this. And his whole thing is like, every time something happens, he's like, this is cursed. The and 2001 so, cinematic masterpiece. I <laughs> fucking love it. And so, returns. Daniel, thank you for that. Oh, that was, uh, this is the moment I have been dreading all season. This is the cursed, but, cursed but you beginnings. Got, you got to get me with a mummy clip. And that's perfect. <laughs> I, tr I love those movies. That was my, you're 
<laughs> I can already hear Jake yelling all the way from yeah. North Carolina. That that was my backup plan clip. Yeah, that was my fallback option because I searched high and low for a really good, clear audio quality clip of Dan Housen saying this is cursed. And yes. I couldn't find one uh, to Damn. my liking. Well, you, and so you are cursed. This, yeah. this was my backup. I curse you. Yeah, there you go. Just I curse you. But yeah. yes, I, in my head, I will envision Dan Housen. Arguably, though, for my money, arguably, quite possibly the most cursed pairing in the history of the show. Like, this this might be up there as my number Wor- one. Worse than Carter and Roxanne or Carter and Elaine? Well, I'm counting at this, okay, at this I'm counting, I'm counting main cast pairings. Like, okay. I'm counting, like, you know, we're going to take two of these characters that you obviously have a real investment in and pair them up and see how it goes. And this cursed. Do you want me to play the clip again? I'll play the clip again. I no, it's good. I'm good. <laughs> I'd say seven point five yep. probably on the strength of David. Yep. In this episode, otherwise the rest of it is sort of ho hum. Yeah, I'm, just all that David stuff, and then the Carter talking with Doctor Gerard and Carter. Just, yeah, Carter's Carter's thing doesn't go as far as I want it to. Yes, um, it did, yeah. I wish that they would I wish they would have taken Carter's thing and, and really like expanded on it I don't like how much set dressing other stuff does to further Mark's thing like I feel like mm-hmm. there's too much of stuff that's just obviously there just to sur- uh, further service their thing um, and barring but but I will say on, a, on the positive side though uh, Mark and David obviously carries the episode yeah, I was gonna say this is this is the John Collum yeah. variety hour. Yeah, this is this is where John Collum really gets to flex his muscles, and um, up until this last scene, I don't hate the Carol and Luca stuff. Like the Carol and Luca stuff is a fine little field trip and and a fine little detour uh, along the road to getting her off the show and off to Seattle. Um, and and the Edgar Carey thing is like I said, it's it should be on paper a complete waste of her time, but just because of that little music drop and how cute it is and how it just is this cute little thing that she gets to do, I'm fine with it. Like I'm I'm totally okay with it. So I think it's an episode that has like tremendous potential and could have been an all time great episode if you'd have expanded on some of those other threads. But yeah. uh the the green and uh the David and Mark thing is the thing that really like takes this episode and pulls it up out of the dirt and says, like, all right, we're gonna Let's get serious now. We're heading towards the end of the season. What do listeners have to say about it, Lauren? Valerie Z says, This is one of my favorite David Green episodes. John Cullum's descriptive narrative about a ship slicing through the water like cool air, and later speaking about holding another man while he died, being the longest yet best four minutes of his life. As you guys would say, chef's kiss. Audrey T says, Whoa, blast from the past. Dr. Hicks' nameplate on the locker next to Carrie's. Young Jesse is an oh hey it's that kid for me. He played Michael on the '90s comedy The Hughleys. And it's kind of cool seeing Carol and Luca outside of Wrigley outside of the Wrigley Field sign. I was just there a few weeks ago and snapped a pic. Love Abby's line, Doctor Weaver. I don't think trying to help is ever stupid. And I didn't realize this was the episode with Mark and his dad on the boat. So sweet. Franner W. says, As someone who has patched up a difficult relationship with their father, and the catalyst for that was him being gravely ill, time it was, and what a time it was it was, a time of innocence, a time of confidences, long ago it must be, I have a photograph, preserve your memories, they're all that's left of you. This is beautiful work from Edwards and Cullum, that's all I have to say. 
at Leah 1989 says, Abby showing up at the home of her patient sister, going above and beyond to seek help for the little girl is so reminiscent of Lucy showing up at Romano's home at Christmas to get him to help her patient. When we think about the sort of Lucy-Abby handoff we saw in Abbey Road this season, this felt like a very parallel track for those two characters and definitely something in the Lucy playbook. I love the similarity of Abby challenging Carrie's authority and instructions just as Lucy did with Romano. You can see Carrie's perspective of Abby shift for the better at the end of this episode when she, sh when she sees her with that reluctant mother. Once again, reminiscent of Romano's perspective of Lucy shifting after she so openly displayed her passion at his doorstep. Like Abby said, helping is never stupid. You go, girls. Lucy had said something similar about being stupid enough to think she could help, and it was like a bit of her character was still here, shining through Abby. We will see the close friendship and mutual admiration that develops between Abby and Carrie over the seasons, and it makes me wonder, might we have seen anything similar in a friendship between the unlikely pairing of Lucy and Romano? It's too bad we'll never know. Sorry for my long response. I tried to condense my thoughts, but failed. And at the full-time dad says, Gone are the late season doldrums and we're back to the start of one of ER's finest stretches. End of season six to mid season seven. If you don't believe me, think about it. This one, Loose Ends, Such Sweet Sorrow, Mayday, Hoko, Sand and Water, Mars Attacks, Benton Backwards, Flight of Fancy, The Visit, Rescue Me, The Dance We Do, The Greatest of Gifts, Peace of Mind. We go nearly seven months without a bad episode. It's incredible. And Aaron, I just have to note, those sure are episode titles. <laughs> I remember most of them. I don't, I don't fucking know. Uh, Peace but of Mind is one of my favorite in the entire show. But back to Fastest Year. I love how the episode artfully juggles a number of stories and gives us breadcrumbs of what's to come. Carter is still clearly suffering PTSD. David Green is going downhill in a hurry. They make him look ghostly pale. We see a bit of Abby's defiance that makes her a powerhouse in future seasons. We get yet another huge child star getting one of their first on-screen appearances. Blinkin', you'll miss Dakota Fanning. And I don't care what y'all say, Luca and Carol have an excellent chemistry in this episode. Thank you, Aaron. You, you also can have chemistry without kissing and all the other stuff. Like you also get some excellent monologues from both Luca and David Green. Honestly, I cry every time I hear Green's fastest year monologue. John Cullum is absolutely incredible. And Mark's small pause before he says, Thank you, Dad. You feel that emotion. And Simon and Garfunkel once again, the Green family anthem, and Carrie's little friend was sweet too. And of course, we end with Luca wait half of the match trying to become a thing. You can feel Carol's resistance, but let's be honest, Luca's pretty hot. That's it for me. Really excited for this stretch. Yes, Luca is very hot. I think we can all agree on that fact. I, yeah. I would I would also like to point out that uh, Aaron's insistence on uh, trying to make Luca way a thing. Uh, over its Christian name, Hathabach. Uh, <laughs> he went so far as to write an entire rap uh, to justify the existence Jesus. of Lukaway as the ship name. And uh, if I had to uh, experience it, then you all do too. All right, well, that's about going to wrap up our episode for today. Thank you all very much for listening, as always. The show is brought to you in part by our patrons over at patreon.com slash podcast. For only $1 a month, you can get access to our show notes each week. For only $5 a month, you can get an assortment of stickers, including one featuring our favorite desk clerk, Jerry. 
two-week early access to all of our cast and crew interviews, and over 45 hours of bonus audio and video content, including the full season recap episodes, a free-form monthly bonus show called The Lounge, movie reviews where we talk about a movie featuring an ER cast member, and whose picks are those where Lauren reads some ER fan fiction. We'd also appreciate it if you would follow us on our social media accounts. We are at SetTheToneER on Twitter. We are on Facebook at facebook.com slash Podcast, And we are at Podcast on Instagram. Also, be sure to check out the official Setting the Tone community on Facebook. Our theme music is provided to us by Andrew M. Edwards and Daniel. Where can folks find you at? They can find me on Instagram at dan.u. That is y-o-u dot e-l. They can also find me on my other podcast, The Popular Court, with my co-host Jake Terrell, where we do a different pop culture topic each episode and put it through a little mock trial. And Lauren, where can folks send you at? Folks can find me screaming into the void on my personal Twitter at lowbob92345. You can also find me on Twitter. I'm at randomgamer. That's J-A-M-3-R. And thanks again, everyone, very much for listening. Please join us again next time and have a great week. Bye.